0: So this morning I'd like to speak a little bit about like the practical uh, implications, in you know, of the five khandhas, uh, contemplation I mentioned yesterday evening. And, uh, you know, we can uh, just use the experience of listening right now as a way to, to bring that home. So, you know, through so having a physical body sitting here with, with the ear organ, through the ear organ, if, that, you know, if the ear organ is healthy and, and if there's some sound, then consciousness is aware of that sound through the ear organ. So that's the first khanda of form, that's the ear organ, and the fifth one of consciousness. So consciousness through the ear organ is aware of a sound and then cognition which is the third one cognition or perception knows what that sound means and by by memory it compares and we have learned you know what sounds mean and what words mean and so we know the meaning of the sound the third one perception and then at the same time feeling comes also in the second one and gives us an affective tone about the experience tells us if we consider it to be pleasurable unpleasurable or neutral and then you know hope and fear arises or just you know no reaction and that depends, again, a lot, you know, about... It's completely dependent on conditioning. What in one culture is a pleasurable experience can be the opposite in another one. So it's very arbitrary, depending on conditioning. And then, after all of that has occurred, then the fourth khanda formations or volition comes in and making a decision, you know, do I want to keep on listening or do I just going to zone out? or am I going to get up and and walk out because I don't want to be here. So all of those five, they're playing together like a chamber orchestra and they give us that sense of, uh, you know, there's something behind this process, this chamber orchestra, there's some kind of a conductor. But if we really deeply look into each of them, We'll find out this is not so, and you know first we have to determine the different areas of each of the khandas, just like we did before. You know the sense organs, it's the first kanda, and then consciousness is aware through the sense organs, and then a perception, a cognition arises. Based on memory and on concepts, and because of that, it's very inaccurate. Like, for example, in a walking in the forest and seeing a dark, long thing on the floor, and first thing, oh, it's a snake. Or especially, you know, for example, if the eye organ doesn't work very well, and we have left our spectacles at home, you know, we might see things in a very different way than what they are supposed to look in our realm of experience, in the human realm. But also we do know that there's animals, you know, who have sense organs which can experience a much a larger spectrum of sound than we can. For example, dogs and, you know, other animals like bats who have a much, much greater range. They don't need to rely on their eyes. Or, you know, some animals have a very good sense of smell, also dogs, for example. They don't need their eyes so much because for them, other senses are much more dominant for human being. The experience through the eyes is is the most dominant one. So there's a lot of you know room for difference. and And then the cultural conditioning, class, race, education, sexual orientation, age. There are so many other factors which play into that. And, you know, basically what we are doing with our... So how how that whole process starts, starts with the sense organs. What we're actually doing, we're singling out a certain sector of reality. And then this is what we call, this is my world, me and my world. And then, you know, as human beings, we have a lot in common, but there's also some differences. (coughs) And, you know, as we know, you know, several people can look at the same painting or at the same scene, you know, and they come to completely different conclusions, what it means and if it's beautiful or not, if it's dangerous or if it's benevolent, and there's so many different results depending on so many causes and conditions, so it, it's a very complex, you know, system. And if it's not questioned, if it's not looked into, it can give us a very kind of solid sense of what we're experiencing. But then, as soon as we, you know, stop. And start to investigate into that. For example, according to these five kandas it starts to open up, and suddenly what was a solid solid thing before reveals itself as a, as a process, you know, consisting of those five streams. And that's a very good way how we can make some space, you know, around our experience, and then there's some kind of uh, openings, you know, where we can. Suddenly there opens something up, uh aha. And then the next thing, uh aha. And suddenly, which was, you know, a solid thing, turns out to be not so. And there's suddenly the, you know, light is coming through. And and it just starts to open up. And then there's different uh, ways of going from there. And... And, and, and the principal, you know, investigation which the Buddha instructed us to do with the five khandas is to look at the impermanence. For example, you know, with the impermanence of the body, you know, old age, sickness and death. It's it's a classic uh, contemplation in Buddhism. Or contemplation of corpse. You know, when one imagines oneself has, has died and you know, lying there and then just see the corpse, you know, changing over time. And in the end, you know, there's only the bones left and then the bones fall to dust and go back into the earth and seeing, you know, there's actually nothing left behind which is, you know, Santa Citta, some kind of a kernel or anything. There's nothing left. It always goes back to the earth and the other elements. So that's a very good way, you know, of seeing that this first kanda is certainly impermanent. It takes some time, you know, for our body completely to disappear, but it does, it does happen. And with it, the ear organ and the eye organ and all other organs. And then, you know, the second kanda of feeling... It's just the same, I mean we can see that much more clearly because feelings can you know arise and see is very sudden and can st- staying time is often very short, and it's compared with a bubble on water it bubbles up and then it just bursts, and the next one and the next one and the next one, and it has a function you know it has a definite function in life because it protects you know that. For me, that kind of uh, coming together of of uh, those five khandas of st- it gives information about um, pleasant, unpleasant and neutral and quite sometimes you know that pleasant and unpleasant is also protecting you know the the, the body from you know being harmed by you know Excessive heat or excessive cold or something sharp. So it does have a function. But then, you know, we tend to drive it much further than what it needs to have, a function. Because it's, it's, it's here in order to make, make good decisions, you know, make fast decisions. So like it's a, you know, in the evolution of, of the... of... of animals and as well as human beings, you know, we needed to make very fast decisions earlier on, you know, when we were much more unprotected, you know, in, in terms of uh, you know, from other animals and things, and things like that. So, you know, immediate reaction was necessary run or fight. And nowadays, you know, we don't need that part so much anymore but it's it's part of our inheritance and we have to come to terms with it. So, you know, feelings uh, play a real key role in, uh, in the process of liberation because they can be so convincing, you know, and they can be so powerful. So we really need to learn that it, we can contain them, you know, and that they, they are impermanent. There's no need to immediately react on them. But it's very difficult to remember because they can be very convincing. Even they are just like bubbles, as the Buddha says. And then the third one, cognition or, or perception, as I said before, you know, can be very deluding really because it's we're using unchanging concepts and put them on changing processes. And that's just the way it is, you know, in the human realm and the way how we think in a dualistic way and we the language is also dualistic. So it is a very useful skillful means, you know, for communication and it's totally needed and lots of beauty can be created with poetry and it has its you know, it has its limitations. There's this beautiful saying of Rumi where he says, language is like a tailor shop where nothing really 100% fits. You know, any word isn't, you know, never able to capture what we are speaking about, but it is like a pointer. And to just know that, you know, that's enough. Then we we can use language, we can enjoy it, but we know it's only gonna go so far and not further. And again, you know, those concepts which which are arising they are very much dependent on on the um you know sense doors, on the organs, what information they give through through the consciousness. And as I said before, you know, different beings have different sense organs which can capture a different spectrum of reality. I've recently read, you know, for example, the eye I mean the, the physical eye, you know the, there's, I think in, um, in nature the the physical eye was, you know, invented by evolution 40 different times so the eye, we human beings share You know, it's just one kind of eye amongst 40 different eyes in nature. So, and all of those eyes, they they capture a different spectrum of experience. So just to bring that to mind, you know, it's very limited what we are living inside of. And, you know, in some ways it's more than enough, isn't it? (laughs) We hardly can handle all of that. So (laughs) I'm quite grateful that I don't, you know, have to deal with more. But just to bring things into perspective. So, yeah, and then, you know, out of those three arises uh, mental formation, so volition, which, you know, makes a decision what to do about it. And, you know, this is where karma is made. So there's a chamber orchestra and without a conductor. And if we, you know, can one by one go through those five khandhas and see the impermanence of all five of them, then, you know, slowly but surely that sense of uh, a conductor, that sense of a self which is behind those five different instruments, starts to fade out. So the five kandas or the five aggregates affected by clinging, because the five aggregates, they can exist without clinging also. You know, a fully enlightened being, there are still the five aggregates operating until that being dies, but those aggregates are not affected by clinging, and therefore there is no suffering. That, you know, that being still needs to eat and maybe gets sick and needs, needs shelter and, you know, speaks and, and sings and whatever does different things, but there is no... Attachment. So the five aggregates affected by clinging are the root cause for dukkha, or or for suffering. And you know, and so the fault, so to say, is not lying with any of the five khandhas, but it's it's the attachment to something which is constantly changing. The attachment to something which is constantly changing as impermanent. That's the root cause of suffering and that's what needs to be let go of through investigation and investigating into the impermanence is, is the key because through you know, seeing that all five of them are impermanent they're like a lump of foam the body bubbles, the feelings a mirage a perception um, a banana tree which doesn't have any cord to it is is um volition or mental formations and consciousness is like the performance of a magician. So they're all very elusive, they're all constantly changing and appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. And that needs to be really deeply understood and then the clinging to the five khandas will, you know, slowly but surely be released and that's what we call like the four stages of enlightenment in the body canon. The stream-enterer, once-returner, non-returner, and arahant. There's a progressive letting go of the clinging to those five khandas. And then, you know, the five khandas still operate, they're still... Uh, working together as a chamber orchestra, without any anybody behind it, and it, it always has been that way It just appeared to be different, and you know the investigation needs to pierce through that appearance and impermanence is the doorway. so we have one day left that and then we can of course take it you know wherever we go but we have a full full day here still so try to just use the five khandas as a framework for investigation for this last day you know knowing that it has been a very successful uh, system for many others before us.